let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time to review another Sabbath School lesson. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find a link to the current lesson study guide, additional Bible study resources, and all our previous episodes. Before we begin our study, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for keeping us, providing for us, saving us. We ask you to forgive us of our sins. Help us now that as we come together to study your word and review this lesson, that you'll give us wisdom and understanding. We're grateful for technology, and we pray that you'll be with this technology, that it'll be cooperative for the duration. In Jesus' name, amen. Lesson 11 is entitled, Managing in Tough Times. Managing in Tough Times. This quarter, we have been talking about managing for the master till he comes, occupied till I come. And so this week, we are going to be focusing on how to manage financially, but from a stewardship perspective is what we're going to focus on, in tough times to include prophetic times. Our memory verse from the King James Version of the Bible, it is Psalm 50, verses 14 and 15. It says, Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Okay, let's go to our introduction. Sometimes our world seems to be spinning out of control. Wars, bloodshed, crime, immorality, natural disasters, pandemics, economic uncertainty, political corruption, and more. There is a strong urge for individuals and families to think first of their own survival. Accordingly, much thought is given to seeking security in these uncertain times, which is, of course, understandable. The toils of life do take a toll on our daily focus. With debts to pay, children to raise, property to maintain, it does take time and thought. And of course, we do need clothes, food, and shelter. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed these very basic needs and then stated... Your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of them. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 32 and 33. And we did a podcast on this on the True Wisdom Podcast. Cares of this life was number seven, if I remember correctly very early. Amid trying times, when we need to lean on the Lord more than ever, 
there are some concrete steps based on Bible principles that we should follow. Let's see what they are. Mon- uh, Sunday's lesson, putting God first. And they give us a story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 22. This is actually a really good, good passage. We should probably have gone through verse 24, but not a biggie. We'll fix that. So this was in Jehoshaphat's reign, which is awesome. In Jehoshaphat's reign. Jehoshaphat is one of the good kings of Judah, has some ups and downs, um, but his issue is not that he follows God inconsistently, although I think you could see some of that in there, but that he's easily swayed by entirely the wrong crowd, hooks up with Abraham's family, not Abraham, Ahab, Ahab, hooks up with Ahab's family. And um, he makes some bad decisions a couple of times. Right? But in this story, in 2 Chronicles 20, it's one of his awesome moments. So let's read here. Toward the close of Jehoshaphat's reign, Judah was invaded. Jehoshaphat was a man of courage and valor. For years he had been strengthening his armies and his fortified cities. He was well prepared to meet almost any enemy. Yet in this crisis, he did not put his confidence in his own strength, but in the power of God. He set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. The people all gathered together in the court of the temple, as Solomon had prayed that they would, if faced with danger. All the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their wives and children. They prayed that God would confuse their enemies and that his name might be glorified. Then the king prayed. And here's the key part of what he says in verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Awesome. After they committed themselves to God in this manner, the Spirit of the Lord came upon a man of God who said, Be not afraid, nor dismayed. In fact, let's look at verse 15 here. We'll read 15 through 17. And he said, this is Jehaziel, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. And ye ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, 
for the Lord will be with you. Okay? Go out. Go out against them. But you don't have to do anything. You will not need to fight. You will not need to fight. So, early the next morning, the king assembled the people with the Levitical choir in the front to sing the praises of the Lord. Then he admonished the people with one of my favorite verses. And here's what it says. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Powerful verse, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. Then the choir began to sing, and their enemies were destroyed, and none escaped. None escaped. It took the men of Judah three days just to collect the spoils of the battle. And on the fourth day, they returned to Jerusalem singing as they went. Of course, the God who delivered them is the same God whom we love and worship, and his power is just as great today as back then. The challenge for us is to trust in him and his leading. Now they ask us, what special significance should this text, 2 Chronicles 20.20, have for Seventh-day Adventists? Seventh-day Adventists believe that we've had a modern prophet, a recent prophet, in the last century, actually, last two centuries, because she lived from 1827 to 1915, that would put her in the 19th and 20th centuries, and um, and we are now in the 21st century, so it's, she died only a century ago. So for us, understanding that it is God who established us, but it is belief in the word of his prophets that prospers us, right? Um, because we're believing God's word. We're not discounting God's word. Monday, trust God, not your own resources. 1 Samuel 14 is a story of how Jonathan prospered. Right? We did that before. In true wisdom. But 1 Chronicles 21 Here's how it begins. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Hmm. Provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went through all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. 
and all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred men. That's 1.1 million men that drew the sword. And Judah was 403 score and 10,000 men that drew the sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. I can understand why he left out Levi. I'm not sure I understand why he left out Benjamin. The king's word was abominable, but he still covered like 10 <laughs> or 11 tribes. Um, officially 10. Uh, no, no, no. I said that wrong. It's not officially 10. It's There are 12 tribes not counting Levi. Because Joseph's tribe got counted twice. Ephraim and Manasseh. So, correct. If you leave off only Benjamin and Levi, you've basically counted 11 tribes. Because they're technically 13. We say the 12 tribes of Israel, but that's only because Levi was not counted in the middle of that. Okay. So Satan tempted David to get haughty and number Israel. Joab is on the good side several key times in his life. This is one of them. But he did not always intervene. But this is one of the good. This is one of the times where he's on the right side of things. That's why the Bible says, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. So he tempted David to pay attention to his strength, because that's what David was doing. By numbering the people and understanding what the strength of his kingdom was, he knew how he stood against other kingdoms. But at the end of the day, it was God who had to give him the opportunity. It was God who was going to deliver. It was God who was going to protect. Right? It was always God who was going to handle his, his troubles, his woes. There's a quote which is attributed to a British ruler, Oliver Cromwell, who before a battle said to his army, put your trust in God, my boys, and keep your powder dry. And the powder here was gunpowder. So what they're saying is, in other words, do all you can to succeed, but in the end realize that only God can give you victory. Yeah, we have to understand that um, that we have responsibilities. There are things within our control that are reasonable to do. Reasonable to do. Because we're not helping God out. So there are things that are reasonable for us to do, and we should do them. But we should not forget that God is our source of strength. We should not forget when we get victories that it is of God. But God always seeks to have us be balanced. We should always work as though our lives depended on the success of that work. And yet, we should always trust God as though our lives depended on the success of that work, which it does. Now... They say here, in our immediate context, it's very tempting to trust in the power of the government or in our bank accounts. But in every crisis mentioned in the Bible, when the people trusted in God, he honored their trust and provided for them. 
We should be using the present time to get square with God, which needs to be defined in some way, get out of debt and be generous with what we have been given. If, in the words of the old gospel song, if we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. That's true. How do we strike the right balance between doing what we can, for instance, to be financially secure, <laughs> and yet at the same time trusting in the Lord for all things? I, they mean well. I know they mean well. This feels so much like someone trying to justify a position. Okay? We should do everything in a way that is right. Christ gave the, the example of counting the cost, right? Christ said to count the cost. Before you do something, count the cost. But I'm not sure, yeah, fine. We should, we should in, um, endeavor to get out of debt if we are in debt. Be generous with what we've been given. Okay? How can we strike the right balance be financially cute. How can we strike the right balance between doing what we can, for instance, to be financially secure, and yet at the same time trusting in the Lord for all things? You know, what's interesting is that the Lord doesn't say anything negative about living check to check. Nothing negative about that. Give us this day our daily bread. Going out for your daily work to get your daily bread is great. Do I believe or do I am I ignoring the fact that it is good to have things set aside, to have savings, to be in a position where you're able to make adjustments? No, I'm not saying that. The Bible gives us too many stories where, like Joseph in Egypt, when you have a lot, you need to put some aside for when you're not going to have. Right. So we saw that clearly in that story. to be financially secure. I don't know, as, as people of the book, that's what we were called for a long time, when you look at the, at the um, prophetic flow, when you look at what is soon to come upon the world, when you look at end time events, I don't know that it is even possible for us to be financially secure, much less desirable okay and i say this i i operate a business right i operate a technology consultancy and i'm obviously trying to get my business on solid financial footing so that i can pay employees expand the business do whatever needs to be done in a reasonable way as i move forward don't have to incur a lot of debt if if I have a couple of lean months, I don't run into problems with billing and, and accounts receivable. All of that is true. But God's people don't aim for financial security. The principles that God gives us for, how should I say it? The principles that God gives us for our management of resources have an element of financial security baked into them, but they also have an element of God as a provider baked into them. Okay, The concept of financial security is foreign to the Christian 
because that's not the way God looks at stewardship. Right? That's not the way God looks at stewardship. Let's let's think about this. Financial security. God told Solomon, since you didn't ask for riches, I'm still going to give you that. You asked for wisdom. And I'm going to give you the wisdom, but I'm also going to give you the, the riches. I would say that the answer to this question, how do we strike the right balance between doing what we can? We need to manage the resources given to us, the financial or financial impacting resources given to us in such a manner that if God came in to do an audit, where we are at that moment would be good. You know what I'm saying? The idea is we should be living according to God's principles, returning an honest tithe and offering, looking to use the resources that we're given to his name's honor and glory, whether that be in evangelism or something else. But to be financially secure, I don't know. I'm not, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying that we should not care about financial security or that we should shun it. Let me be more more precise. I'm not saying that we should shun financial security. I'm saying I don't think that the Bible teaches us financial security. In fact, I'll give you a little bit of a story. As we've moved here, uh, currently living in West Virginia, when we moved here and I started doing my consulting work, there were some months where um, I got the accounts set up and money was coming in regularly and everything was going well. And then one month, two of my bigger clients did not pay on time. Oh, and I got super nervous. I got super nervous because bills were going to have to come out and I'm playing with this money and interfering with secondary accounts and all this kind of stuff. And I prayed about it. And then I realized, or was led to realize, that when money was just dropping into the account, I was just taking it for granted that everything was working fine. I was comfortable. I thanked God for the companies. I thanked God for the work, et cetera, and so on. Soon as that money didn't show up, I was nervous. I wasn't relying on God anymore. And so it made me wonder, was I relying on God when that money was coming in? No, I really wasn't. I was comfortable that we had an arrangement and that they were on time. And I was comfortable with all of those things. And so I felt like I had to make a a change. I had to be different about, about how that worked out. And I prayed about it. And said, Lord, I gotta when when I don't see checks come in at the right time, I'm gonna have to be calm that that you understand this. I'm gonna have to pray to you about this and not get bent out of shape. And it took a little while, but of course a couple of incidents occurred two or three months from that point. And this time I'm like, okay, Lord, let me know if I have to flip money around or if it'll get fixed in time. Like I'm not I'm I'm fine, but 
I just need to know if I have to take any steps. And it was so much more peaceful because I wasn't worried about that stuff anymore. And the Lord did make money show up just before I, <laughs> just before I had to do any uh, manual manipulation of accounts. So we get comfortable when we're working a steady job with steady pay. We're comfortable that these things are going to work. We take it for granted that the company will continue to pay. And we don't realize that at the end of the day, we always need God. If you're growing a garden, oh boy, do you know you need God. Whether or not bugs will show up to your place, whether or not you'll get the right precipitation, whether or not you'll have appropriate irrigation, whether or not the birds will be a factor, all of that comes into play. And we don't think about it um, in, on an individual level most of the time. But we need to trust God in all of those areas. We need to trust them to handle all the things, whether they are on the tech side of the house or not. Tuesday, time to simplify. What should Seventh-day Adventist Christians do in response to difficult times? Do we hunker down in, in a survival mode? No. In fact, just the opposite is true. Because we know that the end of the world and the second coming of Christ is near, we want to use our assets to tell others the good news of the gospel and what God has prepared for those that love him. We understand that someday soon, everything on this earth will be burnt up. That is true. That is true. So, let's look at 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, 3-12. Uh, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Please note that verse 4, speaking to religious people, those are the only people that are going to say things like from the beginning of the creation, and those are the only people who are... You know, look at what they said, for since the fathers fell asleep. So they understand the state of the dead, and they understand the time of creation, but they are narrow-sighted, short-sighted in other ways. What is Peter telling us with these words? That the Lord is not slack concerning his promise? That the end of the world is going to come very, very soon? Yeah, he's really telling us the end is near. We understand from the word of God that he is not sending moving vans to take our stuff to heaven. It will all get burned up in the final conflagration when all traces of sin and evil, except the scars on Christ's hand, will be forever destroyed. So what should we do with our possessions? Here's what a quote from Councils on Stewardship says. It is now that our brethren should be cutting down their possessions instead of increasing them. We are about to move to a better country, even a heavenly. Then let us not be dwellers upon the earth, but be getting things into as compact a compass as possible. Right? We need to be pilgrims and strangers in the earth. 
Of course, she wrote these words more than a century ago, but the principle still remains. Time is always short because our lives are also short. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we must always live in the light of eternity. Yes, of course, we need to work hard to provide for ourselves and our families. And if we have been blessed with wealth, nothing is wrong with enjoying it now. (laughs) They're going to keep that up, provided we don't become greedy and are generous with it in regard to the needy. I'm just going to say it this way, not begrudging anyone their wealth. I'm not going to begrudge anyone their wealth. And I know that I have been blessed. And so um, I'm grateful for what I've been given. If we want to make sure that we're in line with God, we we need to just think of this thing as stewardship. God is going to give some people authority over a small amount of resources, and he's going to give others authority over a large amount of resources. That's how we have to look at it. Primarily, the Lord has granted unto us what he's granted, and then we're going to manage it and opportunities are going to arise at some point, and we should be supporting them. I know, for example, you know, we have to look at uh, different opportunities that we have for ministry, direct ministry, and sometimes simply financially supporting some other ministry. Right? Not saying you should be afraid of wealth and throw it into the streets if it comes your way, but I'm saying we ought to stop obsessing about it. It's a resource, and it's part of our stewardship package. And if the Lord gives us a lot, then we need to use a lot wisely. And if the Lord gives us a little, we need to use the little wisely. Okay? Because it's easy for us to focus on the, hey, how do I enjoy this wealth that, that, that I've worked so hard for? If you knew Jesus was coming within 10 years, how would you change your life? There are a lot of things we do differently if we knew Jesus was coming in 10 years. The problem is, if we were procrastinators, some of that would create more problems for us. Right? That's one area. The other thing to consider is you could still die two days from now, even if you knew for a fact Jesus was coming in 20 years or 10 years or five years. So the coming of Christ from a timing perspective is important on certain levels, but we also need to just live day by day as though we will not wake up tomorrow. Forget the hitting, getting hit by a bus and all those other things, just that we'll go to sleep and not wake up. That's an option. That's, that's thing, a thing that happens to some people in this life. So we need to operate as though that could happen and not just pretend that if Jesus lives, if if Jesus comes on a particular date and that date is only five or 10 or 15 years from now, then we should be okay. No, not at all. Wednesday, the parables and teaching of Jesus, the stories of Bible characters and the counsel of Ellen White all indicate clearly that there's no halfway commitment to Christ. Either we are or we are not on the Lord's side. Okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, 
Will your mind prioritize loving God? Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Okay? Cannot serve God and mammon. Notice that Jesus didn't say that it was hard to serve God and money, or that you needed to be careful in how you served both. He said instead that it couldn't be done, period. Yeah, and that's why I wish that they would stop emphasizing the enjoy your wealth. Just don't. Knowing, knowing that people are already prone to selfishness and um, extravagance, or in a few cases, extreme simplicity, even knowing that people are prone to these bad traits, covetousness, etc. Let's not open the door for that. If God has blessed you well, use those resources to his glory. Okay? Not saying go out of the way to ignore comfort. I'm not saying that. But it is through much tribulation that we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Thursday's lesson. When no one can buy or sell, the Bible paints a painful picture of the world before the second coming of Jesus. Daniel talks about a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Considering some of the troublous times in the past, what he is referring to here must be pretty bad. That's correct. Very bad. Read Revelation 13, 11 through 17. Uh, this is the second beast coming up out of the sea. How do financial matters fit in with the end time persecution? Well, they're going to lock down the finances of those who oppose so that we can never oppose. You can't buy or sell? How much of our lives today revolves around buying and selling? I would say almost 100%. Our work is, in a sense, selling of our time and skills and goods to those who want to buy them. Not being able to buy or sell anything means not being able to function in society. The pressure on those who remain faithful will be enormous. Plus, the more money that you can have, the more stake you will have in the world, at least in terms of material possessions. And so, surely, the pressure to conform will be even stronger. How do we prepare? Let's see what they say. They say, we prepare now by making sure that God's grace through God's grace, that we are not slaves to our money, to the things of the world. If we're not bound to them now, we won't be when the persecution comes or when we have to give them up in order to be faithful. Okay, let's look at Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year 
by year. Okay. What were God's people to do with their increase or production? Thou shalt truly tithe all of the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. They were supposed to return a tithe. God explained through Moses that one of the reasons he established the tithing system was that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. In the poetic parallel of Psalm 31:19, we see that fear is synonymous with trust. Okay. These parallel lines show us that to fear the Lord is to trust him. Therefore, we understand that God established the tithing system to protect us from selfishness and encourage us to trust him to provide for us. While being faithful in the tithe is certainly not a guarantee that people will stay faithful in the end, those who are not faithful in the tithe are surely setting themselves up for failure. Okay? We have to learn to trust God. Further thought. Again, they said, though nothing in the Bible warns against wealth, that's not true. Nothing in the Bible talks about wealth as increasing one's spiritual commitment either. In fact, the opposite danger is true. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, the desire of wealth, is the golden chain that binds people to Satan. Since the founding of Christianity, no church has ever partaken of such wealth and creature comforts as the church in many countries in the world enjoys today. The question is, at what cost? Such affluence surely influences our spirituality, and not for the good either. How could it? Since when have wealth and material abundance fostered the Christian virtues of self-denial and self-sacrifice? That verse, that, that statement there, that observation, is part of the reason why I'm bewildered that they keep pushing this idea of wealth isn't bad, you know, if we can if we can get wealth just as long as we use it appropriately. Can coming home to a refrigerator stuffed with more food than we can eat and owning one or two cars and taking yearly vacations, shopping online and having the latest in home computers and smartphones make it easier to love not the world nor the things of the world? Though many members of our church don't have these luxuries Many do, and they do so at the peril of their own souls. This is not talking about the rich now, as in millionaires and beyond. They at least know that they're rich and that they can heed, if they choose, the biblical cautions given them. We're talking instead about even the middle class who amid smartphones, iMacs, air conditioning, and SUVs, are fooled enough to think that because they are just middle class, they are not in danger of being spiritually pickled by their own prosperity. That's why tithing can be, if nothing else, a powerful spiritual antidote to the dangers of wealth, even for those who are not particularly wealthy. We do have to be careful about wealth 
we do have to be careful about the pursuit of wealth. We do have to be careful about our readiness for end times and end time events. Tithing reminds us of our stewardship responsibilities, reminds us that we're not owners in the way that we think. Okay. Let's go back to our verse here. Psalm 50, 14 and 15 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Okay. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy to us, your goodness to us. Thank you for your loving kindness. We ask that you please bless us, help us as we continue these studies, help us help us with the podcast. We pray that you will bless us and help us to implement all of these things that we are learning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can email us at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. Don't forget to check out the full description of this episode at biblestudy.asbzone.com to ensure that you can access the linked resources and any related podcast episodes. This podcast is available on all the major platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please remember us in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.